find out if you're ready for love. Here's your marvelous host, Nikki Lee. And welcome to Ready for Love Radio. This is your host and love coach, Nikki Lee. Today, we have got a friend of mine back. We're going to be talking to Angela Skirtu. Now, let me tell you, y'all know that I get into more trouble. I open my email or I go to Facebook and I get the most interesting ideas for shows. Now, I opened my email the other day and I'm on Angela's mailing list. So you never know what she's going to send me that might spark an interesting idea. Now, the other day she sent me an email about a webinar that actually is happening tomorrow. So y'all are getting in on the last minute to find out about this. So if you want to participate, you're going to have the chance at the last second to sign up. And she's going to tell you all about it. But she's got a webinar tomorrow about consensual non-monogamy. Now, we've talked about this on the show before, but I like to get different perspectives. So, Angela, I'm really excited to have you back. Thank you for having me on. You know, we had a really good time last time, and I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this topic, too. It's a really interesting topic. (laughs) I know. Well, it's a fun topic. It's a fun topic, Mm -hmm. and it's one I think there's a lot of confusion about. So that's why I like to get different people's perspective, because sometimes the way we describe it might not not resonate with somebody, and they might not fully understand. So I like to get different people to help me to explain it so that people can understand. So I, okay. I want to I want to talk with you about this and just see see what we can share. So well, what do you want to know? I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> there you go. For the for the people that weren't on last time you were with me, Angela is a licensed marriage therapist and an AASECT certified sex therapist. She's the author of two books, Helping Couples Overcome Infidelity and Premarital Counseling: A Guide to Clinicians. She's also the co-host of a podcast about sex called, of all things, About Sex Podcast. Now, I think that's the perfect topic. I mean, straight to the point and tell people what you're going to talk about, right? And actually, if I remember yeah. right, you do that with your husband, don't you? I do, and he's he's not a sex therapist. He's just a crazy guy who's got awesome opinions, so it ends up being perfect because he brings that, like, different opinion or perspective. You know, guys are always like, what what's the guy thinking here? So I love when he comes on because he can poke jokes and fun at things that, as women, we would think completely different about. This is true. And, and he just happens mm-hmm. to be married to a sex therapist, which I'm sure gives him a uh, unique perspective. Oh, it sure does. He always gets weird questions like, what's it like being married to a sex therapist? <laughs> <laughs> and the answer is just, you know, ask anyone else. <laughs> I Except with a lot of sex talk. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, and I, I just have a feeling guys don't mind that. <laughs> so. You know, I think it's endearing. Guys like it. Guys like a lot of sex talk. Actually, I think that's why many guys are okay coming to me as a therapist because they're like, well, at least you'll talk about sex, which is important to me. <laughs> you know, I, I, I know my boyfriend doesn't mind it at all. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't mind it at all. Got it. Not the slightest. <laughs> so. yeah, like, let's talk as much as possible about that. In fact, let's have it as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, hey, what can I say? All right. Well, I'll tell you what. To, let's get started. Off. In case people don't understand, since we're going to be talking about consensual non-monogamy, that may confuse people from the very beginning. So I, I like to, when I'm, when I'm using kind of unusual terms, 
let's start off by explaining what the heck is consensual non-monogamy. Because if we don't have that straight from the beginning, nobody's going to understand anything else we're going to talk about. Sure. Well, so you can see it as sort of a, a branch off of monogamy. Sometimes it helps to have both and defined. Exactly. Um, so, you know, as a monogamous couple, it's just the two of you, whoever you are. You can be, you know, straight, gay, LGBTQ. But there's just the two of you, and you're attempting to do the whole till death do you part sort of deal. You only have sex with each other. In consensual non-monogamy, um, it's basically any couple or partnership where they uh, consensually have sex with other partners or love other partners or both. So there can be variations, absolutely. Some people are just in it for the sex and enjoying a little bit of variety in their sex life, and other people are in it because they believe they can love many people. Um, those are more of your polyamorous folks, by the way. And so they have just many relationships, but everybody's aware. The part that's important in consensual non-monogamy is it is Every partner is aware and consenting to the situation. Nobody is left in the dark. And there are a lot of conversations that couples have to make sure everybody feels safe and comfortable with the situation. So what's interesting, you know, consensual, there's a lot of conversations about consent. What, what, consent about what's going to happen, what people are going to do sexually, consent about what's going to happen on a date, all of that. And so that's a key difference from, say, an infidelity where maybe the two people who are cheating on their monogamous spouses are having sex, but they're not getting the consent from their partners who are assuming they're in a monogamous relationship. Exactly. Well, I, mm-hmm. think, I think that's the part that people don't understand immediately from the very beginning is there are multiple relationships, but everybody mm-hmm. involved understands what's going on, and they're all in agreement from the beginning. Yeah, there's they're aware of the situation and they are down, <laughs> down to pound. <laughs> right. And, and people, like I said, a lot of people, it's a whole new concept for them. And, you know, I've, I've had people go, have you heard of such a thing? I'm like, yeah, I have, <laughs> you know. And there's a lot more, you know, you, you'd probably be surprised to know that people you know are doing this. And they're Most enjoying it. Book and called the uh, Polyamorous Next Door or something. That's just like yeah, it's happening in your neighborhood, whether you're aware of it or not. In fact, actually, right. when I moved into my house, I, I moved into a new house just a couple years ago, and they had like mood lighting in the bedroom and in the basement. And I said to myself, I bet the people who lived here before were swingers. <laughs> <laughs> Very possible. Because <laughs> it's romantic lighting everywhere. Come on. <laughs> And, you know, not everybody would have picked up on that. (laughs) Well, I'm a sex therapist, so, of course, I'm always paying attention to little details. But, anyhow, um, that's the other thing. So, like, even what you were saying in terms of frequency, so what we know is about 5% of the population is open about their non-monogamy, and there is a bigger percentage that may be non-monogamous that's not open about it for various reasons because it is such a new concept. It's very taboo, and people can be very judgy, to be fair, about the concept. So right. some people will not come out to their families or their prof- any professionals or their schools because they're, they're either trying to protect their own career or life or they're trying to protect their children's careers and lives because it can, right. like, though these can think things can really impact people if you're not in a very accepting uh, environment. Right. Well, and sometimes it's, well, if, if it comes out, 
I'll 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 agree, I'll let them know, but I'm not going to volunteer the information. That kind of a thing. Yeah. You know. Exactly, exactly. Like you might volunteer the information if you see that the other person's very open and non-judgmental, but they're yeah, even the ones so but there are people who are completely out and they don't care who knows and then there's others that are just selective and who gets to know. Right, right. Well, you know, close yeah. friends that you know are going to be okay with it, you go ahead and you tell them. You know, but mm-hmm. other people or or like immediate family members that are maybe say really religious, you're like, "No." Yeah. <laughs> Kind of well, thing. and some people, nobody knows except the partners they're with. You know, like it's just, it varies in terms of what's going on. And they, these are the people who would never put it on a survey, but they are in an open yeah, relationship. True. That's why there's this percentage that we're not aware of. We don't know how many overall. We only know the ones who are willing to be open about it. Right. Mm-hmm. This, this is our friend so-and-so, you know, or, or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's never, this is my girlfriend or this is my boyfriend or whatever. So, yeah. Exactly. Well, it is because so many people don't understand or are not willing to understand or or if they did know, they would just be so judgmental about it. It's, it's just not worth the hassle. Exactly. Or or they, they simply don't understand and aren't willing to take the time to try to understand. Well, you know, I think people in our society are so used to the concept of monogamy. But, you know, the interesting thing is that it it's actually a more recent concept, people being like, expecting all of their love and all of their needs to be met in one relationship long mm-hmm. ago, you know, so if you do a history of marriage and relationships, I actually talk about this in my premarital book because I was like, you know, what has marriage been like across time? So historically, uh, people didn't get married for love or sex. They, that was not in the deal. <laughs> like if you fell right. in love, that's great. But they actually thought that was a, it was a dangerous thing to marry for love because um, it, it's such a faulty emotion that doesn't last forever, that sense of the gooey butterflies. And so back in history, people married as a business transaction to meet families and raise families as a political choice, but right. it was never for love or sex. And so it was understood and very common for people to take lovers. Now, I would say in history, that would be a don't ask, don't tell policy, <laughs> which essentially, you know, it was understood that people might take on lovers or see prostitutes. Actually, sex work was very popular in history, even though it wasn't necessarily legal in every state or every country. It's pretty popular, right? And so right. historically, people understood they might go outside the marriage. They would just keep that on the hush-hush. Um, but then it's only been more recently as, you know, I essentially since the United States has become a little bit more um, puritanical to some degree and there's been a lot of that like Disney princess, you're going to find your happily ever after and you're going to be together for the end of time. Um, <laughs> right. and so we're kind of expecting more and more out of marriage that like essentially wasn't an institution that was created to meet all of your needs. It was just for a few of them. <laughs> and then the rest of you were supposed to just meet on your own. <laughs> Right. So why do you think people are drawn into this lifestyle? Well, there's a lot of reasons. I'd say, <laughs> so the most, I guess the, the, the harshest reality is that people live too long. <laughs> <laughs> so, since we're living such long lives, I think what's happening is people are getting tired of the same partner. Not that they don't love their partner or that they, even, you know, even people will say, they still have a good sex life with their partner. They're just tired of the same old. Like what I'll hear from some of my clients is, you know, we've done it. We've done everything. And then we just kind of wanted something new, some novelty, freshness. So a lot of people are drawn into mono- a non-monogamy because they want something new and exciting. 
um, a big thing that a lot of them get out of it is that new relationship energy that's exciting and um, like think of when you fell in love for the first time and how many like you just it just feels like your brain is on fire and 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 it's exciting and your nerve endings pop every time you're around the person and, and it's such a beautiful exciting feeling that uh, people who've been married for a really long time or in a long-term relationship uh, just don't feel with their partners easily anymore. It's not something that can be manufactured. And so what, what I'll find is people who are drawn into consensual non-monogamy are wanting that feeling again, that, that excitement and rush of a new relationship and the fun, all the fun and the enjoyment that goes with it. But they also don't want to leave their partners. They're very much in love still with their partners and they just want to find a way to have both, essentially have your cake and eat it too, consensually. <laughs> well, you know, I think too, it's people have been doing this. I think it's now it has a name. Okay, now it's yeah. actually more acceptable in certain circles than it was, mm-hmm. and people are now feeling. Okay, some people are now feeling some that they people. have permission to do it. Whereas they well, that is kind of work. a key, right? Permission. You don't like the one challenge I feel is that there people that didn't get permission. You know, they sometimes kind of just did it, and and even when it comes to infidelity, people aren't always. They're definitely not getting permission with that. And so I do. I think you're right that the more people are open and honest with each other, the easier it is to get that permission and try things out, but in a safer way that's not as harmful. Because infidelity right. really hurts people. <laughs> right. Very mm-hmm. true. Okay. Like I said, I just think it's it's becoming more acceptable in certain circles, as mm-hmm. as more people are becoming more sex positive. Thank goodness. Well, I mean, even even in the small town that I'm in, because I am in a small town, it's mm-hmm. becoming more acceptable. With like I said, in in certain groups of people, but I'm finding it more and more. And I mean, even you go on to, to some of the dating sites. I'm finding more and more people that are that are openly, pun intended, you know, putting it on their profile right out there. Yeah. That's what they're looking for. You know, and Which I'm, I I'm think looking. It's a, a really great idea to put it out there. You know, when people are dating, because um, if people aren't aware of it at the beginning, it can be a challenge to open up. It's not impossible. But um, I definitely think that, you know, I, I'm appreciating people being honest up front like that so that you kind of know what you're getting into and you get to decide consciously, is this the kind of relationship I want to be in or not? You right. Know? Well, and if that's what you're looking for, you need to be open about it at the beginning because it Absolutely. makes a difference if the other person's not looking for that. So definitely. Well, and the hard thing, though, to go on with that, well, the reality is that, like, so some people... I think because it's newer and it's more available now, like you said, there's more permission. Some of the younger generation is getting a little bit more comfortable just putting it out there. Or people who are recently divorced um, right. who realize, yep, yeah, you know, that's what I want. They're, they're being more open. But where it can be a challenge is when this starts to come up later after people have been in a relationship for a long time. That's because what I was going to one partner. <laughs> huh? That was where I was going to go next. Very good. Okay. Oh, you were going to ask him. I know. Like, it kind of just trails into these things naturally, right? Right. Yeah, but, like, the reality is it's, it, it's not impossible for people to open up their relationship, but it can be, it can take some time because it's, it's kind of scary. Some people think, well, does this mean you want to leave me? Does this mean you don't love me anymore? Are you going to fall in love with somebody else and I'll never see you again? Is this, am I not good enough? There's all these questions that people right. ask or worry about when it comes to opening up. 
And I want to tell you an interesting statistic, actually. So for anyone who's considering opening up their relationship, it's not impossible. Plenty of people have, like, there are people who start their relationships like this, but now that I've interviewed so many people for my podcast, I know people have done it midway through relationships and been okay, too. But the statistic is, is that the first year of opening up is actually the hardest year because you're figuring out what your boundaries are and what's okay and what's not okay. But after that first year, the divorce rates in the marriages are the same as people for non-monogamous and monogamous. They're exactly the same. So it's just that first year that people kind of need to do a lot of slow movement through and a lot of talks, no rushing. But if you can make it through that first year, then most people are just fine after, depending on how their marriage already was, essentially, because you can kind of, some of you can probably already tell when a marriage is headed towards the divorce or not. Other times it's harder to tell, but like there are certain ones you're like, yeah, they're going to be divorced in a few years. Right. <laughs> well, some of them already had problems anyway, although they may not exactly. have you know, recognized it or acknowledged it or whatever. I think one of the big issues, too, is you got to really understand what you're getting yourself into. Understand mm-hmm. the parameters of whether you're going to be, you know, whether you're looking to, to swing or to be polyamorous or whatever you're looking mm-hmm. to do. Understand it thoroughly before you dive into it. Because if, yeah, if you I go in and don't, don't understand, mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to have all kinds of problems. You know, I, well, I know couple- I'll tell you that those are the problems that I'll see people have the most is they kind of just jump in because they hear about it, but they don't do any research or exactly. talk. Like, actually, the best research I think people could do is talk to other people for a while who are open and consensually non-monogamous so that you can kind of learn from their pitfalls, actually. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very true. People, people that have actually been in the lifestyle for a while learn from them. Yeah, yeah I totally agree with you about that. So... Yeah, because there are a lot of things. So, like, what I'll see in my office is people kind of, you know, they rush in, they jump in, and they get burned. And so I just told you that, like, the first year is the hardest year, right? Right. And so that means that's the, if you if you don't make it through some of those hurdles in that first year, then if you get burned, what I'll find is they won't try it. They almost get bittered by it and burdened by it because there are really ways, there are plenty of ways you can really hurt each other. Um, oh, yeah. And that can, you know, I mean, just even... Like, if you aren't in an agreement about how things are supposed to go, are you in separate rooms or are you together? Is it okay to touch each other in public or not? Is it, you know, like, there's just all these things that people need to discuss. So if there's not clarity about that stuff, then it's very easy to hurt each other. And so, I, you know, I help, I do help couples open up. Like, they'll come to me and they're kind of interested in it. Or what will happen is they'll come to me after they've hurt each other, but they're still interested or they're still trying to figure out if they can do it. But it's a lot easier if you kind of just take it slow. Like I, I always tell people, just dip your toe in, see what it's like, have a lot of conversations, wait, wait, and just sit on it. You know, like how did this go? Did we like this? Did we not like this? What was good? What could we do differently? And then like dip your toe again a little bit, see how it goes. And you can dip your toe in a variety of ways. You know, actually before we started the show, you and I were talking about like nude hotels and nude resorts. Exactly. I think that's a I think those are great ways to dip your toes in or a community that's local. Um, Here in St. Louis, we have something called Sex Positive St. Louis, and they have regular munches, which is where people who are swingers can meet each other with clothes on. Um, Mm -hmm. But then in the resorts, they're nude or they're partially nude. And those are places that are just about kind of you're dipping your toe and you may not have any swinging experience, but you can talk to other people who've been in the lifestyle 
or sometimes because, you know, you're all kind of drinking and having a little fun. Sometimes you do meet somebody and you try something. But again, it's just a dip of the toe and it gives you a chance to kind of go back to your room and talk and see, you know, how do you feel about this? Which is much better than just jumping in. <laughs> well, and, and that new relationship energy you were talking about, that can be overpowering. And the thing is, if you let that get overpowering and you're not sharing it with your partner, okay. that can get mm-hmm. out of hand so quick. Part of the beauty of polyamory is sharing that, not letting it get out of control and mm-hmm. getting so involved with that with the new person and cutting your partner out. You know, I've, I've exactly. seen that really cause problems in relationships. I love that you bring this up because love is a very powerful emotion. So new relationship energy is very much like feeling like you're in love. And the interesting thing is it doesn't matter. It, I, I wish people knew this just in general, but like it doesn't matter who you end up dating. Yes, you kind of have to have a little bit of an attraction or a connection. But for the most part, you can have that new relationship energy with anyone. Anyone who piques your interest, anyone you kind of get vulnerable with, anybody, like even in, um, like I remember when me and my husband met this, this new friend couple that we just like, not, I'm not talking about mono, or not monogamy, I'm really just talking about friendship here, but like there was this sense of, oh my gosh, we're so connected, they're really close and they're cool people and like, and I got that new relationship energy of excitement for meeting people who are very like-minded individuals. And so you can get that new relationship energy with anybody. The challenge with non-monogamy is that you're also having sex. And anytime you have sex with somebody, your body naturally releases hormones that make you feel in love. And actually, your body will release those, those hormones for up to two days after you have sex with a person. And it doesn't matter who the person is. And so when you do this non-monogamy stuff, if you're kind of rushing into it and doing it quickly and spending a lot of time with those new people... Well, you, get, you kind of fall into love really quick. It's really exciting, and people just feel overwhelmed by the emotion. And they can honestly kind of get confused by it, too, because it's like, how can I feel so strongly about somebody um, but then stay with my partner? And the reality is you can. It's totally possible to do it. You just kind of have to treat love like an emotion, like any other emotion, right. um, which means an emotion can come and go. It passes. Just like when you're sad, you're not sad for like 50 days. You're sad for a day or two. You move on or sad for an hour or two. And so it's learning to kind of how hold that emotion without necessarily acting on it. That is kind of one of the keys for helping people to open up a little bit slower. Interesting. So what sort of people tend to be non-monogamous? Is there a certain type you know, the interesting thing is I've seen people of all ages, all races, all most religions. I can't say all because, of course, I haven't met every non-monogamous person, but many religions. In fact, I've always been very surprised at just how many people, um, how many different kinds of people you'll find that are doing this kind of lifestyle. Like, for example, one of my first most coolest couples, actually, that I worked with in sex therapy um, was this older couple, they were in their 70s, and they were both self-proclaimed sex addicts, but basically they were just swingers, and they just loved it. Like they, they felt like they came into their sexual prime later in their life. They basically said they'd never go back, but it was just an older couple, and they were kind of conservative too. You know, I'm always surprised that when people are very conservative but still very very much swinging, very much open to having sex with other people, they're like, well, it's consensual. We're, we think it's okay. Like even Christians, I'll see that they'll say, well, what does the Bible say about 
Like, if you're both okay with it, you're not coveting your neighbor's wife, you're just kind of having sex with her. (laughs) (laughs) We're past coveting. We're past that already. That's like, I, I don't know if, I mean, in, in the Bible, there was polygamy. It was kind of a thing there, too. So, I mean, there isn't necessarily, I mean, there aren't verses that necessarily say one way or the other on that. So, it's just, it's just interesting. Oh, well, like I said, pass, pass coveting and, you know, take a right. All right. We're yeah, yeah, I mean, as long as you're not jealous. <laughs> Speaking of jealousy, I was going to ask about that. We'll just, we'll move that up the list since you brought it up. Sure, sure. How do you you deal with jealousy? Because, you know, anytime you have more than one or two people, jealousy can enter into it. So how do couples that are non-monogamous deal with jealousy? All right, well, so there's a common misunderstanding that people who are non-monogamous don't experience jealousy. And it's not true. Everybody experiences jealousy. It's a matter of to what degree and about what. One thing that is interesting is some of the people who are non-monogamous will say they really don't experience a lot of sexual jealousy, meaning they can watch their partner have sex with another person or, or know that their partner's having sex with another person and actually kind of be turned on by it, not jealous, but like it's a, an erotic thing to them. So there are okay. people like that, but there are other people who are still a little jealous. You know, there's a part of them that gets a little worried, like, are you going to leave me? Do you like me? Do you like this person more than me? So it's not that we don't have jealousy to deal with. It's just that um, what happens in the non-monogamous world is there's this belief system that it's your job to work on it, that you own your own emotions, and it's your job to identify what you're feeling and then ask for your needs from your partner. So say, for example, one partner feels like the other is spending a little too much time with their other partner. Um, First, you own your jealousy. Yeah, I'm jealous. I feel like I'm not getting enough time. I don't feel like you're a priority. One way to look at jealousy is an umbrella emotion. So usually it's uh, hiding other deeper ones. And so if you look at it like that, then what's the deeper need that you have under jealousy? Maybe it's I just want to feel like a priority. Maybe it's I don't feel like you're spending enough time with me. Interesting thing is sometimes people are getting bugged about resources. It's not the sexual part, but it's that I feel like you're spending more money on them right now dating and we haven't dated in a while. And so it can be really interesting the, type, the ways that people are experiencing jealousy. But essentially in the consensual non-monogamous world, the job is recognize it, own it, and then ask for your needs and find a way to meet them. And so maybe you'll, if you're having to, like a lot of dates with your other partner, then you say, hey, we need to make some dates for us too. I want us to still be a priority. Or maybe it's let's get a hobby together so that we're on a consistent basis spending time together. Um, it could be other things. It, like I've seen people kind of get jealous, not about the sex thing, but about family time. I don't want your dates to like coincide with the kids' basketball game. We need to make sure our family is still a priority. And so it's not that jealousy doesn't occur. It's just that um, we basically polyamorous people do not um, accept that jealousy can run another person's life, that your emotions are your own and it's your job to take care of them, and then find ways to resolve them as a team. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's so important for each partner to make sure that that they are balancing their time. You know, make sure that, you know, like you're saying, if, if you're doing th- things with with uh, one partner that you're doing with the other, or you're, you're not spending too much time with, with one person, especially your primary, well, 
I, I, I see like if, if you're in a married couple that they're your primary partner. Do you see it that way? Well, it depends on the couple. I mean, yes, in the swinging world, that's definitely how it's looked at. In the poly world, people can be very um, different. Some people believe they try to give equal status to every relationship. Other people have a primary and secondary and tertiary relationships. Um, There are other people who are, they're anarchists, and they say, you know, you don't get to define me (laughs) or my relationship. (laughs) You know, that's just how it goes. (laughs) Um, But, you know, one thing that's really interesting, too, for people to think about in terms of that jealousy stuff is what they're wanting to get out of this situation. So um, some people are more jealous when they don't know what's going on. Some people are more jealous when they do. So depending on which one you are, uh, like you may want to have sex with your partner in the room, meaning like you do the swinging thing where maybe all four of you are together or all three, and it's something you do together as a team. Um, Whereas other partners don't want to see it. They'd rather have their own separate relationships, and you kind of just got to decide which one feels more right to me. And, And with that like process of slowly opening up, you just kind of, the hard thing is, is it's a trial and error sort of deal. So maybe you try it one way and you see how it goes. That's why it's so important to dip the toes in slowly because, okay, say you do a foursome. And it was, the hard thing about sex is in the moment, it's really intoxicating and exciting. And sometimes you'll go with things, even if you're completely sober, by the way, um, sex is its own kind of intoxicating drug. And so people might say yes to things in the moment, and then later these feelings can come up uh, as they're thinking about what happened, like, I don't know how I feel about this, or I don't know if I like that you kissed her, or I don't know if I liked us being there together. That was kind of scary for me. Um, And so, yeah, like, basically people kind of have to just slowly try it and then decide where those boundaries are, Um, and then see, you know, because you never know until you basically go through the experience. But if people can have this attitude of we're going to live and learn, we're, not, we're trying not to hurt each other, but if we do, we're more than willing to talk about it and try to adjust to take care of each other, then they can be just fine. So, you know, the listeners may be, especially listeners that this is a new concept for them, may be going and wondering if there's, if there's something wrong with people that, that think this. And, maybe, <laughs> and, and you, you know they are. And then they may be going, okay, so what is it that people actually get from being non-monogamous? What, what would you tell them? Well, I mean, a big part is the variety. A big part is, the, is just this excitement and new relationship energy that's just, I don't know, it just breathes new life into the relationship. One, one thing that's really interesting is that when people start having these other relationships, that energy can transfer back into their own relationship because they have all these erotic cues and excitement from that other sexual experience that they now can fantasize about while they're having sex with their partner. So what I find is it reinvigorates the desire for the old relationship. Um, it's not that people have anything wrong with them. Actually, to be fair, I think that they're doing it in a better way than most of the monogamous couples are doing it. So you know I wrote the book on infidelity, and the percentage of people cheating on each other, so this is not consensual, non-monogamy, um, is 60 to 80%. It's a very wow. high number. So I would, okay. yeah, I would debate these people and say that actually you're all kind of non-monogamous. You guys are just unethically non-monogamous. They're, they're just not consensual <laughs> about it. Yeah, and I'm not saying that everybody cheats because obviously there are, I mean, there is a, 20 to 40 percent but like 60 to 80 percent of people at some point in their life cheat 
And there's various reasons, but one of the weirdest things is that the cheating doesn't always happen because there's something wrong in the relationship. That's a misconception, too. People think, oh, they must have had trouble and they needed somebody else. Sometimes that's the case, but sometimes people are perfectly happy. They just get excited because somebody finds them attractive. And if ever you've been in a room and you've known somebody's attracted to you, there's even a rush in that, this excitement that, oh, wow, I can tell that person likes me. Even if you do nothing about it other than just kind of hold it and know that somebody finds you attractive, it's exciting. It's, everybody wants to feel sexually relevant. And so what I'd say is to some degree, I mean, I, 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 like really, serial monogamy is the most common form of relationship currently. And what that means is basically you're with a boyfriend for a time or a girlfriend or a partner. Um, and then if it doesn't work out, you break up, you find a new one. Um, if it's marriage, you break up. And sometimes there's that overlap of the infidelity that brings you into the new one. But really, people aren't as monogamous as they think they are. They're living up to an ideal that society's kind of placed on them. And I'm not saying you can't find one partner forever that you'll love, but it's more work. It takes a lot of energy and effort to keep bringing in new novelty and experiences and what the non-monogamists say is that, well, it's really easy to just bring in a new partner and get the feeling just, just simple. It just happens right then. But again, the key is having lots of conversations, being very careful with everybody's feelings, because if, say, there's just one or two extra people, that's four people's emotions you're taking care of instead of two. Um, so it's not that suddenly you get this free pass either. Uh, it's funny, I read this awesome book, and it's called The Clinician's Guide to Consensual Non-Monogamy. And she says, um, non-monogamy is a privilege, not a right. And what that means is, if, you're, if your partner is being really cool about allowing you to fuck other people, sorry if I'm not allowed to cuss, then you need to take that with respect, and you need to be very careful about your partner's feelings. And to me, when I see couples trying this, the only ones who do it right are ones who really, really care about their partner's feelings and are willing to have a billion conversations to make sure that everything's going okay. <laughs> well, you, you've got yeah. to communicate. Let me, let me put in one thing. I was thinking about that, that question about what people get from non-monogamy because mm-hmm. I, I had a very clear thought in mind when I put that down there. One yeah. of the things I think is really cool with it too is the different partners each each person, each relationship you have can tap mm-hmm. into a different part of your personality, different yeah. interest, different different parts of you, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it's yeah. so cool that you can you can cuz every connection you have with different people taps into mm-hmm. a different part of you. Yeah. And I think it's it's so cool that you can you can connect with mm-hmm. different people emotionally, mentally and sexually to tap into all these different parts of you and your personality. You know what I mean? Yeah, and what people report is they, they feel a greater sense of freedom. Uh, yeah. And, and the sense Creative. of being, yeah. yeah, like you get to be yourself. And yeah. that's the other thing. You don't have the history. The, the hard thing about any long-term monogamous relationship is all the history and baggage you create with each other. And it's not to say that it won't still be there. Everybody's got their issues that they have to work through. But one thing that's nice about the new relationships is you don't have all that baggage. You don't have to have a, a conversation about the kids or like what are we going to pay on the bill. It really gets to just be the fantasy to some degree, depending on, honestly, it depends on how people define it. Because for the poly folks, some of them really like the communal living and they, they just live together. And that's okay, too. I'm not judging either way. Um, but it's just... 
it's just really interesting, and I totally agree with you. There's there's so many parts of ourselves that, you know, you you don't really you don't realize they're there until sometimes you get to explore it with a new partner. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I just I like that element of, you know, you can you can have a whole different part of you that you tap into and explore with another person, mm-hmm. and them being an important part of your life, you know, and it's yeah. just it's it's just the these different the different sides and different dynamics of you and your personality that you just have an entire way, you know, opportunity to explore with this other person that's a, an important part of your life. I just I think that's so cool. Mm-hmm. And, and it well, doesn't have to be one chapter of your life. It can be a mm-hmm. whole part of your life, and you can bring them into your life along with another partner. I just think it's so cool. So anyway, I just think yeah. That. Well, and one thing that one thing that's important for people to know this that this concept actually comes from the Ethical Slut, which is another book that's fun. You know, these are books that I'm wanting people to read if they're kind of trying to research and explore this, right? Right. So in the Ethical Slut, she talks about how um, we've been given this love deficit model, which basically means there's only so much love to give. Actually, my, I have a three-year-old toddler who watches the baby movie again and again and again, and there's this scene where the, the boss baby essentially uh, shows there's only so much to love to give, and all the parents' love is going to me, and you're, there's no love left for Timmy. And it makes me laugh because I'm like, this is an example of what we're talking about with monogamy. So we have this love deficit model that there's only so much love to give and I, want to, I have to hold it and I have to, I have to be very um, controlling with it to some degree. But what the open relationships and the consensual non-monogamy people are saying is that that doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, think of when you have a second kid, you don't suddenly divert all the, the love from the first child to the second child. No, the love grows. It expands. We're capable of loving multiple people. And um, it's, it's, there is one deficit, which is time. We only have so much time to give. But when it comes to love, you are capable of loving and, and love builds on itself. And so what they're suggesting is you're just as capable of loving multiple partners romantically. And that love can expand and grow. It doesn't have to, one doesn't have to take from the other. And that's the misunderstanding I think many people have when they consider this is that, no, what if I fall in love? I love that question. What if I fall in love? You will. How are you going to handle it? (laughs) It's okay to fall in love. Is it okay? Or that might be the question is, is it okay to fall in love? And how will you handle that? And how will you still take care of each other when one of you is in love with another person? As opposed to what if, you know, it's like, no, I mean, when you're making love to people, you will likely fall in love. And what I've heard from people in the community is that they have their deepest, strongest connections and friendships with other people in the community because people really give of themselves and they get very vulnerable in ways that sometimes I think people are starved for in our society. It's just a sense of, I just want to be me and I want, I want people to know me. Yeah. It's a weird society. We're very closed off, you know? That's true. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, did all, all of these are reasons why the open, honest communication is so important. You know, and I bring this up so often on the show that one of the things that people outside of these communities can learn from anybody in an alternative lifestyle is communication. Communication is so important. If you're going to be in an alternative relationship of any type, you have got to have open communication with your partner. And that doesn't mean you have to just talk to them. You have to listen to them. You've mm-hmm. got to have the communication back and forth. And if there's any issues, any concerns, any whatever, you've got to talk. You've got to talk it out, yeah. and you've got to be honest with one another. Talk to each other and work it out and make sure that you're on the same page with each other. 
part of that well, too. In any relationship, you need that, to be honest, not just the alternative yes. ones, but the nice yes. thing about the alternative ones is they force people to do it. You can't yes. succeed yes. in them without exactly. communication. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's why I'm saying, you know, people in other relationships can learn from alternative relationships because mm-hmm. you can't Absolutely. have an alternative lifestyle without it. You just can't. It's not possible. Well, and part of that... Without it ending in divorce. <laughs> well, this is true. <laughs> this is true. I mean, I guess you can do it, but it's going to have huge consequences. <laughs> yeah. Lots of people. <laughs> so, part of that, too, includes discussing boundaries. Boundaries are very important. I know you've got something to say about that. Well, you know, it's been so interesting through my research and kind of talking through, like with many people, is that boundaries are very different and personal. So one of the, when I've been doing all the readings, one one of the clinicians or books came up with, rather than having boundaries, have agreements. And um, because things like boundaries or rules can actually feel very rigid and limiting. So the only difference is with an agreement, you kind of make a plan for about four weeks. Let's try this out, see how it goes in real time. But some boundaries or agreements can work. And sometimes when you try them, you realize, oh, that didn't work out at all. So I'll give right. you a story as an example. So I had this couple come in and they literally had one rule and it was don't have sex in our marriage bed. Okay. Right. Seems good in theory. However, as they started dating other people, the male partner had um, found a partner who still lived with her parents, which is kind of common. Yes, she was legal. I'm not saying it was a teenager. It was a legal adult person. But sometimes people live with their parents for a time. And so it was not available for them to go sleep in her house together. But at the same time, in that same relationship, it wasn't okay to spend money on a hotel room. Like they wanted to keep their financial resources in the home. So what that basically created was a conundrum. What do I do? Do I have sex in a car? Do we go camping? What, like how am I supposed to engage in this relationship without breaking this rule? And uh, the hard thing is, of course, they came in after the rule was broken and they were having fights. But really the difference is with an agreement, you strive for it, but you have to look back at it and see if it's really something that can happen. And in a situation like this, it might have been good for them to have a conversation about, well, maybe is it okay for us to do it in the guest room or is it, if they don't have a guest room, is it okay if we did this, but as a team, you know, because I understand why some people do the whole marriage bed thing, you know, they kind of want something for themselves. Um, right. But if it's not possible, then what are other options available? And, and that's, so it's, it's great to have boundaries or agreements, but it, it's even more important to be willing to renegotiate on those and see what actually works. Right. Or do we make sure that you always change the sheets afterwards? Or, you know, you see how yeah, you're going to sure. boundaries that pleases everybody. Or one thing I read about that I thought was interesting is can you both have your own bed? So nobody ever has to not sleep in their own bed. And I know it sounds like a, like foreign to some people. It's like, why would you have your own rooms? But like, think of it. Okay, so you're dating another person and you want to make love and fall asleep with each other. But actually, right. that's where your wife sleeps too. And she wants to go to bed and she's tired. And she's like, hey, are you guys going to get out of here or what? Um, and so in some families, they do. They have separate beds. So no matter what, you always get to sleep in your own bed. In other situations, they do kind of have a rule that, um, you know, let's not do it in our home, but maybe we put up a financial budget for this so we can go to hotels or somewhere else. But you do. You kind of have to have a lot of conversations about it. And other boundaries or, or agreements can focus on, like, what are we going to let our kids know or not know? Because this is the hard part, right? You still have children. Now, I want to make it very clear. People are have separate relations. Like your sex life, whether it's with multiple people or one person, is always kept from your kids. That's, that's always the boundary, right? 
So it's not, there's never like that risk necessarily unless it was already a risk to begin with. But so with that, they have to have conversations about what are we going to tell our kids? Are we going to like scoot them out to somebody else, like an aunt or a babysitter, or, or are we going to wait till they're in bed? Are we okay with the other people being around our kids? Because like those can be really important conversations to set some clear boundaries or agreements around. Because, you know, kids are honest, depending on their age, the younger ones, I got a toddler, she just says whatever she thinks. And what if, you know, what if you have a toddler in your house and they're like, oh, mommy sometimes sleeps with other men or mommy right. kisses other men or something, you know. Isn't that man and like mommy even rules that. around that, you know, like you can't do this in front of our kid, meaning like the there's flirting and affection that people can sometimes share, right? But exactly. even having very clear rules or agreements around, hey, you know, this, this has to happen separate. They can't see any of this. You look like friends in front of the kids, but any of the sexual or the relationship stuff happens behind closed doors. Whereas other people are perfectly fine with their kids knowing that they have other partners. And it's just, just this ongoing conversation couples have to have. Right. Well, and, and anybody that you bring into your relationship, you've got to know how they're going to react too. One, I mean, because mm-hmm. you, you've got to trust them when you bring them into your home, how they're going to react. Like, I mean, say so-and-so, say your mom drops by. How are they going to behave? Yeah. You know? Exactly. Exactly. And so that, that's a big conversation people have is like, what is our relationship to each other in front of others publicly yeah. versus privately? And it's very important to be clear about that. Like some people will go on dates with their partners, but maybe they're not, they still don't want that to be very public because right. there are still other people who can, like say you're at a restaurant somewhere and you're with your lover and then maybe your friend from camp comes up or whatever. It's like, hey, what are you doing with this person? You know, like they, they just have to have really honest conversations about what they're okay with people knowing and not knowing. And some people just do more private dates or don't do anything out in public and that's fine too, but there has to be clarity. There's there's a lot of interesting dynamics that you don't think about until you're you're hit with them, you know, or, or like I said, you know, mm-hmm. even even if if you're at their home or or say the first time they invite you to spend the night, and then so and so knocks on the door, or I, it, there's just there's a million things you don't think about until it happens yeah. to you. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's why, it's, that's why it's so important when people are opening up to take it really slow. And actually, that's another book that people can read. It's, it's called Opening Up. But one thing I like about that book is they give you little questions at the end of the chapter to talk about, to explore, so that you're kind of thinking ahead when these things happen. Because you're right. You, what's funny is when people start to do this is they don't realize, one, all of those little hijinks they can get into. But two, any baggage you had when you dated before, you still have. The thing is you just got married or you just ended up in a long-term relationship, however it ended up happening. But like, were you good at dating? <laughs> Did you like that process or was it an up and down roller coaster like most people? Um, rejection, what's that like? How are you going to handle that? What if one of you is liked and the other one isn't? There's all these different dynamics that can happen when people start to date others. And like, is it my job to console you <laughs> if you are feeling rejected or is it your job to take care of yourself? How does that work? <laughs> yeah. So like, well, and, what and, it was like to date, you know. <laughs> you know, and then if if you do start dating someone, and they're, you know, if if you're the the single person and you're dating someone that's married, if if the couple starts having issues, are are you going to be brought into the middle of it? You know, are they going to be talking mm-hmm. to you, and is, are they going to want you to be in the middle of it? It's like, well, you know. So, I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's 
like I said, there's a million things to consider. So, well, and one thing, one rule that I have heard from other couples or or agreement, you know, I'll put them all different ways, is that like if we're ever having problems in our relationship, let's take a break from the non-monogamous stuff and focus on each other. And right. um, I definitely have seen some positive benefit to that because you know the reality is you're, that's a way of making each other a priority. You're saying, hey, we want to take care of each other and make sure we're okay. Even if it's just a two or three week break or a couple month break, but the hard thing is, is if you're that other lover and you've fallen in love, it can be very difficult to to wait on the other person. And so another really good quality for people is patience. Um, <laughs> True. Like patience, really, yeah. Like learning to be patient with your partners, understanding that there's a lot of people's feelings involved. And um, if you are patient and you learn to be very patient with people's feelings, then it will work out if it's meant to work out. And if not, then it's better to move on and find somebody new. You know, like that's the other thing is you have this freedom. You can, there's many people, many fish in the sea, I hear. (laughs) (laughs) You do. (laughs) I hear, you know, around the bend. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) So let me see. How does a person decide if they're monogamous or non-monogamous? Well, it's a challenging question. So there are some things I ask people to consider if they're trying to open up their relationship. One, what are you trying to get out of it for yourself? What do you expect to get out of this? Um, I will say that, you know, there's some people who believe it's kind of like a, you know, like when you're, you're gay, you know, some people feel like you're kind of just born with this or not born with this. The hard thing about this whole non-monogamy versus monogamy thing is that biologically humans are more wired to be non-monogamous, but socially we have been uh, socialized to be more monogamous. That That's the way to go. And there's different reasons for that. It's a safety issue in some countries. For example, women don't have as many rights so in other countries. So it is safer for women to have a partner who can protect them in some countries. Now America is a little bit more forward thinking, but it doesn't mean that it, like there are ways that your status changes when you're married versus when you're not married. People kind of look down on people at times who are single for too long. And so, you know, even though it's not a safety issue, there's definitely a socialization going on that makes people feel ashamed if they're not matched up in some way. Um, But what I mean by biologically we're more non-monogamous, there's those weird studies, and of course you can always, there'll always be newer and newer studies, but one of the studies that I've read is that our ball sack, the human ball sack, is bigger than it should be for a monogamous mammal. So usually when um, animals are more monogamous uh, or tend to be with a longer-term partner, the balls, the testicles are smaller. Um, but the human ball sack is bigger. So biologically, um, at least our ball sack suggests that we shouldn't be having sex with more than one person. <laughs> Um, but even beyond that, you know, look at human behavior. Um, you know, I talked about this earlier, but people are cheating in very high numbers. And so is that is that kind of just a suggestion that maybe we're, you know, we're trying to put a square peg into a round hole. Who knows, right? Um, but, you know, and also, like, just looking across history, the whole non-monogamy thing, whether it was consensual or not, is pretty, pretty common, a very very common form of marriage was polygamy, and it is mentioned in a variety of cultures. Um, so it's just, it's just an interesting question because I, I'm, I would say that anybody could be either. It just depends on your maturity and your ability to talk through things. And if you can see something in it for you personally, not that you're doing it for your partner. However, I can always counter myself, which is a fun trait. Some people do it even if they 
aren't getting something out of it for themselves. Like um, an example, I had this asexual client who is not really interested in having sex with a lot of people, but in a polyamorous relationship, that asexual person can find somebody they can cuddle with, which is something asexual people do desire. It's more of the intimacy and the closeness, but not as much of the sex. But in being in a polyamorous relationship, that asexual partner could have a partner, but then allow their partner to share and have sex with other people because it's not something they personally were interested in. So it's not like polyamory is something the asexual person wants necessarily, but it was a great fix essentially to the problem of my partner needs to have sex and I don't. Does that make sense? Well, I was going to say that would take the sexual pressure off the asexual person anyway, right? Yes. Exactly. And so sometimes people are not doing this necessarily because they're like, oh, I feel like I get to have sex with all kinds of people. But it's to take off the pressure because maybe they have a partner who wants to have sex with more people or more often than they do. And when people do it successfully, that's what they'll report is that there's a lot less pressure and a lot more freedom. So right. interesting ways to look at it. Makes good sense, actually. All right. So there are different, different motivations. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you don't always go into it because you want to bang a bunch of people. And some <laughs> people are compelled into it because they're in a situation where they've tried things, they've gone to sex therapy, and they still just don't feel that same sexual interest in their partner as they once did. Um, and I'm not saying those partners can't make it work. They just have to do a lot of talking and groundwork to make sure it's a successful situation. Well, I've talked to people that are in basically sexless marriages, and that's why they've mm-hmm. considered it, is to yeah. open up the relationship because one partner just flat doesn't want to have sex anymore, and they're like, okay, mm-hmm. if, if we open up our marriage, will you just leave me alone? You know, so yeah. that, has, that has been a reason for many people to consider it. I'm not opposed to it um, because I've seen enough people do it. I used to. It's funny. I, I've talked about this for many years, you know, and I used to think, oh, you know, I don't think that's a good idea, but the reality is people always surprise me, you know? So while ideally it would be good if you both are getting something out of it, the reality is some people are compelled into non-monogamy because the situation they're in just isn't working for them anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's a whole variety of options that can work for people. So, you know, if yeah. it works, it works, right? Yeah. Well, some, for some people, it's hard to really consider divorcing. I mean, I know that's an option. You know, some people, they'll just never be non monogamous and that's okay. But divorce is hard. You're letting go of, you might have all these family connections, and you, you're, if you have kids, you're co-parenting. And some people have great friendships with each other. They just don't have great sex lives. And so right. for those people who are open to considering this like adults, because you do have to be mature about it, it's a means to an end, essentially. <laughs> So why can't or why isn't one person enough for some people? Well, yeah, that's that's an interesting question, and it's a hard one to answer. It's not that – so, like, people who do get into this lifestyle aren't necessarily saying that the person that they love, that they're in a long-term relationship, isn't enough in some way. But in some ways they are. The the hard thing, I guess a different way of approaching that might be that we have lots of needs, and – Marriage right now is set up to fail because we do expect our partners to meet every single need, every one of them. They're supposed to make you happy. They're supposed to be your best friend. They're supposed to be great at finances. They're supposed to be awesome co-parents. And and we're supposed to have an awesome, awesome sex life that we just want to have sex with each other all the time and we just have all this desire. 
and I'm not saying that some people don't have it all. Like it's amazing when I see those couples that really just they feel like soulmates and they they just love each other to death. And I'm proud of those people. And there's so many couples that they just you just can't meet all of your needs with one person. And right. So it's it's not that you're not enough as a person or you're not good enough. I think that comes from a low self-esteem more than it comes from the actual situation. Uh, the people who do this, it's interesting to me because a lot of them are very intelligent people. They've spent a long time thinking about it. They're very matter-of-fact, some of them, which is always interesting. It's, it's not always an emotional decision. It's actually a logical decision that, you know, sex is just, uh, it's been harder and harder to get that spark the longer we've been together, but this makes it a lot easier. Um, so it's not, I think that that is something that sometimes an individual has to work on in terms of a, a self-esteem. Like, how do you feel like you are good enough, even outside of your marriage, like as a person, as an individual? And what's interesting is how people will, like, whenever anybody does this opening up thing, all of their issues come to the forefront. So that's why that first year is so hard, because basically everything that you kind of suppressed when you were dating and alone comes back up and you're reminded, oh, I'm insecure about when my partner doesn't call me all the time <laughs> or I, uh, I've never felt lovable as a person. Uh, these are just the things that come up suddenly. And what I think everybody has to do is learn to do some personal work in that process and find a way to be whole as a person regardless if it's with your wife or with these other lovers. And if you don't have that sense of I am a whole person and I am worthy, then it makes it, it doesn't matter what relationship you're in, it's going to be a difficult situation. Very true. Okay, mm-hmm. now do you want to tell us about your webinar and how people can sign up to be on your mailing list so they can find out about what you have coming up? Yeah, sure. So my website is www.therapistinsaintlouis.com, and it has everything there. You can get to my podcast, my YouTube channel, my webinars. My webinar is uh, about consensual non-monogamy. I'm going to go through specific skills for how people can work through that, and clinicians um, can get ASEC credit. And then anybody who signs up at my mailing list, there's a little place on the first page where you can put your email in to be a part of it. I will send you a 20% off coupon for my book for both books. So um, please sign up and of course, you know, sign up for the webinar at the website too. I'm doing that among multiple webinars because I'm a sex therapist and I want to train people. (laughs) Very good. Well, like I said, it's the last minute, but you still have time to sign up. Yeah, and it's still going to be available after that. So, you know, like I always keep them up there. Yeah. Well, and continuing education credits for anybody that needs those too, which is really cool. Absolutely. So, Mm -hmm. especially in sex, if you're working with couples, you need sex therapy training. Trust me. (laughs) Very true. Very, very true. Awesome. Well, like I said, I I like this topic and I like to cover it and help people to understand it better. So, awesome. Thanks for having me. And we'll definitely find something else interesting to talk about in the near future. So, awesome. So, I'll have the links for all of that, the link for the webinar and Angela's other information and the webinar and the podcast link. If you go to my website, you'll find more information. So very good. And so thanks for being with me. And Thank you for having me. <laughs> and listeners, I'll be with you next time on Ready for Love Radio.